If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. I believe that by definition, CrossFit cannot be a fad or a trend. Mm-hmm. Because what we are, what our program is, it's stealing the best practices from everybody else. And if it works, we're going to use it. And if it doesn't, we're chucking it. If it increases fitness, work capacity across broad time, all domains, it's a part of our program. And we will test it out. And if it doesn't work, it's gone. We are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run. Always chasing. Never stopping. Okay, greetings. How are you? Hi, Patrick. <laughs> I'm good. Good. Today we're going to do something. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of a, well, first thing, we're going to, we're going to do something that was somebody else's idea. Somebody DM'd me this idea on Instagram and I was like, that is an excellent idea. So thank you to, I think her name was Haley. I should have looked that up before, but thank Ooh, you to her. Love this. Um, uh, so what we're going to do is sort of a takeoff of the two minute drill, which is when I usually just present you a bunch of random questions uh, and you are forced to answer them within two minutes. Yep. Um, so we're going to sort of that's going to be the spirit of this episode. Got it. But the the aim is going to be different because what we're going to talk about are a series of or or a list of trends or fads or things that we've seen over the years within CrossFit that have cropped up and then maybe stuck around and maybe disappeared and was were replaced by something else. Okay. Okay. Um, so there's going to be two categories of of these trends. First is going to be nutrition or food related. And then after that, we'll get into training or uh, I guess training is exercise, the, is the exercise fitness. Yeah. Um, so we'll start with the, with the food related one. And the first one I wanted to start with is the, uh, the, the, the fad or the trend that was around when I first came into CrossFit. And I'm sure it was when you were, because it was roughly around the same time of 20, 2006, 2007. Yep. Uh, and that's the zone diet. Yep. So... What are your thoughts on the zone diet? Okay. Um, let me take two minutes before we dive into the zone diet sure. about nutrition as a whole. So, because um, this will, it'll give us uh, a place of commonality amongst um, or wherever else we're going with sure. these things. Here's the take on nutrition. As we talk about different nutrition programs, they're all aimed to really do one or two things. The first one is limit quantity, control. I shouldn't say limit, to control quantity. So people that eat less, guess what happens? Mm-hmm. They lean out and they actually, and also, which is kind of cool, they live longer. Mm-hmm. So um, if you're going to eat excessive or too too much or too little, it's better to eat a little too little than it is a little too much. So goal number one of a nutrition program is to get you to eat the appropriate amounts of food. Goal number two is to eat the right quantity, uh, quality of food, which is whole, unprocessed foods. So it's um, basically produce and animals is kind of the idea behind that. So 
Let's use those two things as our kind of measuring stick for all of these things that we're about to talk about. Okay, good. So um, first one is zone. Yep. Zone diet was created by Barry Sears. Um, I'll keep this quick, but created by Barry Sears, became really popular um, in the mainstream and then um, was also um, kind of like the de facto nutrition program for CrossFit. Beyond eat meat, um, vegetables, um, nuts and seeds, some fruit, little starch, no sugar. The next prescription was kind of talked about was zone. And what the zone is, is you're in the zone. <laughs> and the zone is 40% of your um, calories come from carbohydrates, 30% from protein, and 30% from fat. So what they're doing there is, and then they create this block system, which is if you have a apple that is um, two blocks of carbs, mm-hmm. if you have an av- half an avocado that is three blocks of carbs. If you have um, a six ounce chicken breast, that's three blocks. I'm making these numbers up, right. three blocks of carbs, whatever it is. And then you are allotted based off of your size, a certain amount of blocks throughout the day. So it's a way to count your macronutrients, your protein, carbs, and fats in a rough area because mm-hmm. it's not exact. Things like um, um Steak or an egg would have protein and fat in it. So, it, but you kind of like say it is a protein. I'm going to label it as a protein. Broccoli is going to be labeled as a carbohydrate, but there is protein in it. So, it gets you in the neighborhood of this 40, 30, 30 area. So, it's a nice way to kind of like eyeball test, like this is what I'm eating. So, what they're trying to do there is get you to eat the appropriate quantities of food in the appropriate macronutrient ratio 40, 30, 30. From there, you're able to eat more spinach than you are Oreo cookies. So it's almost like Weight Watchers-esque. Mm-hmm. Like you are forced to make the good decisions on the quality because if you eat pad quality, you're not going to be starving. Right. So that's kind of um, what it is. Um, my take on it is it works. Mm. If you do it, it works, um, especially if you do it eating clean because you can do it with really crappy quantity uh, quality as well. You could do it with... Um, french fries for your carbs. You could do it with a milkshake for your fat and you could do it, um, you know, with greasy burgers for your protein. Mm-hmm. That's not going to lead to what we're looking for, right. but you can't, but if you do it with clean eating, it's good. It, it, it moves the needle for people. Um, I'm trying to, I, I, I feel like I could probably go down this rabbit hole. Our goal is not to dive too deep on each one of these, but the, this one in particular, Let's, we'll take a little dive here. And yeah. We'll shorten the rest up because yeah, okay. we got to start somewhere. Um, this one in particular, this was like when you started doing CrossFit in those days. You did. The you zone. did the zone. Yeah. At some point, that stopped being the case, and and maybe maybe actually I can I can do this still do this well because the next one's going to be paleo, and that was sort of the next thing that was introduced to it, right? And so there was a time when you do CrossFit. You did okay. You did zone, and then at some point, paleo was introduced with Rob Wolf, mm-hmm. and then it was paleo zone, right? You did zone, yep. but you you kept it you kept it clean, and then at some point, it's the zone sort of started to fade away, and it was just paleo. So maybe we can dive into maybe why you saw or why you think maybe that happened, and then maybe dovetail it into just <clears throat> your thoughts on paleo and your and that conversation. So one is um, at the at their highest, most wave top macro level. Not use macro as a but zone is about quantity. Paleo is about quality. Yep. 
zone is about this 40, 30, 30. And that's the starting point. You kind of adjust based off of some different things. Um, but it's that's the, the quantity play. And paleo is about the quality play. Paleo, meaning it comes from the Paleolithic era. You eat like the way our ancestrals, um, our ancestors did back in Paleolithic times when we were cavemen. And they had to hunt and gather their food. And there are still some hunter-gatherer civilizations. And the reason it's popular is because they don't have the diseases we do. They have very lean bodies. They have great teeth. I mean, it's like um, there's a lot of research that um, promotes this way of eating. Um, what's interesting is you don't really need to pay attention as much to the how much you're eating if you're eating super clean. Mm-hmm. If all you're eating is lean meats and fish and eggs and produce, like vegetables and fruits, um, you're going to be doing pretty good. Um, now, could you overeat that? Absolutely. Yep. And that's why they became really popular and really effective was that combination of the two, which was paleo zone, which is measuring how much you're eating and eating super clean. Mm-hmm. Why do you think it moved so much towards paleo and away from zone and whenever that was? Because um, people get bored with things. Yeah. It's um, just like people have palate fatigue when they're eating something. If you eat something, your favorite food in the whole world, but you just eat that same thing long enough, you get bored with it. Yeah, and you're fatigue. looking for the next thing. Yeah. So, yeah, so you have, you're tired of putting things on a scale. Yeah. You just want to eat and eat yeah. clean. Um, and there's science. I mean, paleo is really good. It's, it's, a, it's a really good um, way of eating. Now, I'm not saying it's the best because there's – in it, you're not talking about fermented foods. You're not talking about certain types of fiber like um, that you get in oats and other things. Um, so it might not be the very best way of eating, but it's really good. You know, again, the the way to heat is you know if we were to put it into two quick sentences, it's Greg Glassman's definition, mm-hmm. which is eat meat, vegetables, nuts, seeds, some fruit, little starch, no sugar, refined sugar. Keep intake intake levels to that which support exercise, but not body fat. Mm-hmm. He did Greg Glassman things where he took all of this information that's like stacks shelves of books and researched and and put into two sentences. Yep. So we kind of measure everything against those two things. And Paleo does the first one and Zone does the second one. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one or the next sort of wave of that, what seemed to me to be sort of the, the popular thing to do nutritionally is... Um, and we're still in it to to a large degree. Is is counting macros? Yep. Um, is counting macros sort of like the next evolution of the zone, whereby somebody has de- determined that X equals X, and you have so many of you know you have so many of those to eat every day? Yes. So basically, what counting macros? Yeah. Is? So um, macros is a more dialed in zone. Okay. It's a, so what um, what zone did was kind of like clump these things together. Eggs are protein, and you get two blocks, and it's kind of like. Eh. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot of like there's some grayness to it because there's fat in so right. if you have if you have eggs as your protein every single day and uh, you're not counting as your fat blocks you're gonna mm. eat fat and now you might have extra fat so what macros did is like said like no we're not gonna go with these block systems you get 150 grams of protein a day and you get 220 grams of carbohydrates a day and you get 75 gram. It's much more dialed in gotcha. of fat. Now that's different for everybody. Don't, don't, don't take those numbers <laughs> and run, run away with them. Yeah. So it's again, putting things on a scale before you put them um, in your on your plate, in your mouth. Um, but again, it falls in the same uh, kind of 
problems that Zone did, which is it's not a um, prescription for clean eating. It's mm-hmm. a prescription for the quantity of eating. So if you do macros with a whole food diet, yeah, you're nailing it. Like that's that's really nailing it. That's um, the idea behind this is it's not one or the other. It should be both. It's not okay. I'm going to do functional movements. I'm going to do thrusters and pull ups and running and rowing, but I'm not going to have any idea how much weight I'm lifting or how many reps I'm doing or how long mm-hmm. it took me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do thrusters and pull ups. I'm just going to do them in the gym. <laughs> now imagine the difference of doing that. You're going to go in the gym and you do thrusters and pull ups versus going in the gym and doing Fran. Mm-hmm. And then you come back three weeks later and you come back and you do some thrusters and pull-ups versus you do Fran again. Like measurable, observable, repeatable data with quality movement. It's also way better to do that than I'm going to measure my calf raises and my bicep curls. (laughs) I'm going to do 21.59 of calf raises and bicep curls. Like you're not going to get the same response because that's not as quality of movement as, even if you're measuring it, as if you did both together. I hope somebody does that workout and puts it on YouTube. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, is and this is just maybe a semantic thing, but is flexible eating, quote unquote, the same thing as counting macros, or is that so, is that different? Do you have because those that's another term yeah. that I've seen out there, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I know what so it means. Um, people uh, roll in the term flexible eating into macros because okay. it allows you. Like, I want the bite of ice cream. Yep. It's not this hard. You can macro it in. Like, I want the glass of wine. You can macro it in. So you're allowed to put in these less optimal foods and they still, so for aesthetic purposes, um, so here's kind of like maybe a backdrop as well. If you want to get really lean, if you want to get ready for a bodybuilding show, macros is better. Mm-hmm. If you want to live to 100, I believe my take on this is clean eating is better. Mm-hmm. Those are the two kind of thoughts. So if you want now, obviously the best is both those things right, put together. Right. Um, the 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 sort of the diet or the trend these days seems to be keto, and I know it's something mm-hmm. you tried and perhaps didn't love, um, but I'm curious your take on on the keto diet. Okay, so keto just kind of like um, this is there's a lot of really um, there's keto experts out there. I am not one of those. I have tried keto, um, and I've read a, a fair amount about it. Um, what keto is, is basically we all, um, we all need energy to live. Your brain, your body needs energy. Most of us get that energy from the sugar in our body, from Mm -hmm. glycogen, both in our muscles and in our liver. Your brain requires a lot of that. If you eat carbohydrates, that's the primary fuel source. So it's almost like, like, um, imagine two fuel tanks and we're connected to glucose. It's literally attached to the glucose. So we're constantly pulling on that. The other one is your stored body fat. And if we're constantly on this glucose one, we don't get to pull much out of the fat one. Mm -hmm. What being in ketosis means is you are literally disconnecting from the glucose one, moving it over to the fat fuel tank. And now we're fueling our body on our stored body fat. Mm. For endurance athletes, and or a type of really um, insulin resistant people or people that have certain chronic diseases, that's a pretty phenomenal option. Mm-hmm. Because what you're gonna do is you're gonna take away this game of blood sugar, mm-hmm. up and down, up and down, and the hormone response of insulin and excess insulin and hyperinsulinemia and all the cascading of bad effects that happen from that. Basically what you're doing is you're like, I'm not going to play that game. Mm. I'm removing the blood sugar game from this. And I'm just going to go off of ketones, which is your body turns fat 
into these energy sources called ketones, which your brain loves and your body can use as fuel. The issue is in our space, it's really difficult to train at high intensity levels with that. If you're an ultra endurance athlete, if I was training somebody to run the Western States 100, I would really be pushing hard to get this person into ketosis because mm. you don't need to be fueling them with goo gels and Gatorades every 20 minutes. They basically can use their absorbed body fat and where you only have a very limited amount of sugar in your blood that you can kind of use up before you quote unquote bonk. A lot of people have experienced that. That's gone where now you have pounds and pounds of fat on your body to use as a fuel source. Pretty terrific. I tried it um, and it did not work well because of every single day, even though I'm not an elite athlete, I do CrossFit. Mm -hmm. And CrossFit is even at my level that I'm doing it, high intensity. And it's basically you're trying to fuel, not that I'm, a, don't take this right, you're trying to fuel one kind of car on a different kind of fuel. Mm -hmm. So call it a race car on diesel fuel. Or you're trying to, um, or the opposite. Maybe I'm a diesel truck and I'm right. trying to fuel it off of like jet fuel. It's like <laughs> you're putting yeah. the wrong stuff in for what yeah. you're trying to get out. Yep. So if you have a um, somebody that you care a lot about that's sick, this might be a good option for them. But for somebody that's in the CrossFit space, especially particularly people that want to optimize their performance in the gym, in the CrossFit gym, um, I don't think it's a good alternative. Cool. Uh, next one is uh, intermittent fasting. Okay, so intermittent fasting is just what it sounds like. It's short term, and I, that's relative. Mm -hmm. um, you can um, windows of not eating, so they call it time restricted eating or intermittent fasting. The easiest kind of explanation of this is you only eat for eight or six hours each day. So it's as simple as having dinner, maybe you have dinner at seven o'clock at night and not eating again till noon the next day. That period of where you're not eating, you're fasting. And what's kind of cool about that is, um, you know, the term breakfast. Everyone thinks familiar breakfast. familiar with it, yes. Yeah, everyone, well, you're from, but it's a, it's a, it means something that people don't realize what mm. it means. What it means is you're breaking the yeah, fast. That's actually, I've never thought So it doesn't need to be, breakfast does not need to be in the morning. It could be lunch and that could be your break, your fast. So what allows this, this does, is kind of playing with that blood sugar game again, is your body's not constantly trying to send all these things to the gut to try and digest food and do all these things. You're actually letting kind of body find homeostasis and it's not. And there's a lot of cool stuff that comes from intermittent fasting. Again, it's something that I it's a fad. Um, it's something that people are finding a lot of success with. But kind of going back to that earlier, what are we doing? One of the major things we're doing there is we're restricting the amount of food you can eat. Mm -hmm. So it's another tool for that. So all these things are kind of tools for that. For that, there's been a fair amount of studies that say that intermittent fasting is not great for your gut. Like there's some that say it's fantastic for your gut. So it's not like these things are right or wrong. Individually, different people will see pros or cons. Yep. Um, there is more extended versions of intermittent fasting, which people can do not on a daily basis, but like once a month, people might go on a 24 or 48. Some people go on these crazy like three-day or four-day fasts. Yeah. Um, I'm not a huge fan of... Um, that I think it's um, I think what you're doing there is uh, you're testing yourself. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a. I've done fast every <laughs> yeah. uh, I do, um, I do intermittent. I've done intermittent fasting for 
um, the daily one. Yep. I do that for months at a time. And then I've done um, 24, 48, and 36-hour fasts. Um, outside of that, I think that's a matter of people like, it's amazing, mental clarity, and you have this transformation over, and um, and the longer you go, the better it is. Um, I, I, I don't have all of the science. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some personal experiences, um, and from what I've heard from others, um, and I believe that there is some benefits, especially for some people, kind of like the keto thing, yep. um, kind of like any of these things. But it's um, it's not a one size fits all. It is the magic pill that's going to fix you and get you lean. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's something worth toying. But again, working out high intensity in fasted states has its pluses and minuses. That can actually spike your blood sugar. It can mm-hmm. have an inverse effect. So somebody that um, is in a fasted state that works out really hard with high intensity can actually have a, um, a, a, a their blood sugar can rise and stay elevated. As opposed to somebody that has the opposite of what we're talking about, you think would spike your blood sugar, a banana beforehand, raisins afterwards, and even some Gatorade. Your body gets that fuel and gets to use it and doesn't need to kind of like stress out about it. Uh, the next one is the carnivore diet. Um, don't Which know. I don't actually know anybody who's done this except uh, Jordan Peterson. But um, this is kind of like what one of my coaches, Harry, kind of does this for. He not okay. does it now, but like this is kind of what he lived. He would eat like four pounds of steak tips or turkey tips like every day. Okay. That's <laughs> basically like a bachelor it. diet? Yeah, basically like a- it's like if, if, it, if it was on the grill, it was unlimited eating. Yeah. Um, so again, what this is doing, the carnivore diet. So we're thinking about those two things, right? So you're probably limiting the amount of calories you're consuming because you're not going for the potato chips and you're not going for the nachos and you're not going for the pizza. So by default, you're going to reach palate fatigue at some point. You're not going to want to eat any more steak. You're not going to eat one more chicken. So you're going to eliminate the amount of carb, um, calories you're having. The other thing it does, which is nice, is kind of that macronutrient thing is it really eliminates your the um, carbohydrates. So you're probably by default, you might be falling into ketosis. Yeah. Now, some people, there's this thing called gluconeogenesis where your body can actually take protein and turn it into carbohydrates. Mm. Kind of weird. Yeah. So um, if people have excess car- excess protein, their body can actually turn it into the fuel source, which is going to negate ketosis. So most um, ketogenic diets actually limit protein as well. It's majority of it, the diet is fat. Mm. Um, um, but I don't know enough about the carnivore diet to kind of geek out about it other than like it's probably a little bit excess protein. If excess protein gets into the gut and through to the colon, like not great things happen there. Um, which is why I would default more towards eat real food, not too much. That's yeah. everything. Mostly plants. Um, okay, so those are sort of the big sort of diet trends, but I've got I've got a handful of like smaller things that I've seen crop up over the years. Okay. Uh, the first is CBD oil. Yeah, it's really popular right now. Yeah, that seems to be very. Man, very I went to uh, I went skiing in Vermont uh, a couple weeks ago, and everything is CBD up really? there. CBD lip balm, CBD. Gummy worms, mm. CBD sunglasses. It's like, not really, but <laughs> but everything is CBD. It's like in everything. Um, I think, I know it's like out there and everyone that tries it is like, you got to do it. And like, um, I've tried it. I've tried the oils. I've tried the, the, um, the what do we call them? Creams? Um, yeah, I think so. Or lo- yeah. Uh, lotions or yeah. whatever it might be. Yeah, I, um, exactly, but- I think the jury is still out. Yeah. I, I, um, 
I don't have, let's, let's, let's put this one on pause for a little bit. <laughs> okay. We'll come back to that in a year. Um, next one is a, uh, like a post wad chocolate milk or sweet potatoes, which is sort of what, when we were first starting, that was, you know, or banana, like yep. that was the classic or the standard post-workout, yep. um, nutrition, uh, versus now, which it seems much more likely that you're going to see people grab a protein shake of, okay. of whatever kind. Cool. Um, so they're actually, um, those are three different things. Mm -hmm. They're solving three different issues. Yep. So the banana is replacing um, glyc. It's uh, I'm trying not to use jargon. Um, you're getting sugar back in your body, yep. which is what you need. Um, the protein shake is getting obviously protein back in your body, which rebuilds muscle. So one is like your engine, and it's like really important to get the sugar back in. Um, sugar is also anabolic; it helps your muscles grow. It's really good. Mm -hmm. um, and when I say sugar, I mean like banana and raisins yep. and sweet yep. potatoes. Um, the protein helps for protein synthesis, the rebuilding, repair of muscle tissue. So you're kind of, those are two different things. Um, the one in between was chocolate milk, mm -hmm. and chocolate milk actually has both. So if it's skim chocolate milk, non-fat, it's going to have higher sugar content, and you through that dairy, that lactose, you'll get the carbohydrates, the sugar, and you're getting the protein. That's why that report came out way back when that everyone was like, it's better for you than sports drinks. That's mm -hmm. what it was. They did Gatorade versus um, um, chocolate milk. And it was equally as good at recovery for in certain, whatever they yep. tested for recovery. Yep. So in terms of recovery, the answer is yes. Um, all of those things and none of them should have gone away. Mm -hmm. What we don't want to do though is take the chocolate milk and give it to our kids throughout the day because you heard it was good for repairing muscles. Mm -hmm. That's not what this is about. There is an anabolic window after you work out which your body is going to operate very, very differently than every other time of the day. During that time, sugar is good and particularly, I'll just leave it at that, sugar is good and you need to get in some protein as well. Probably about 20 grams for most people, 30, 35. You don't need like the 70 grams of protein. And like, I'm going to take three scoops. <laughs> you know? um, but you want those things together in your post-workout. So um, good carb sources. Um, sweet potatoes. Yep. Yep. Um, as long as they're not cooked in uh, like a lot of olive oil because we don't want fat in the post-workout. Sweet potatoes, bananas, raisins, um, oatmeal, um, dried fruits, applesauce, those type of things. We used to, a popular one, I don't know if you remember this, we used to do um, um, mashed sweet potatoes with applesauce and cinnamon on it. Hmm. I don't remember that. That's, that's what, That was our post-workout. It was like this mushy, mashy thing. Um, you can even put protein powder in that. And now you're getting, the, it's like, that was a really good, um, and maybe some raisins as well. Raisins are alkaline and we're kind of geeking out, yeah. but like, uh, they're good as well. In the, um, the one thing that I think is important to sort of uh, remember what you said, which is that it's low, it's low fat milk. Yes. You want to avoid in that, in that window. You want So to avoid. throughout the day, you should be having fat with yep. your sugar. If you're having sugar, because it will slow things down instead of spiking yep. the blood sugar. But in the post-workout window, that's the opposite. Actually the workout window while you're working out and before you work out, you don't want fat either. Gotcha. Next one is bulletproof coffee, which I know you don't drink coffee. But okay, yeah. So um, I'm, I'm probably not as educated in this one as I should be. I know it's um, loved by those that love. Mm -hmm. um, my take on it, and maybe you can help me out this a little bit, but it's um, it's coffee that you put in um, MC2 oil and grass-fed butter. Correct. And then you you blend it up, basically. Okay. Um, so from the aspect of um, coffee, 
My take is that I don't drink coffee, but my understanding is moderate amounts of coffee is good for you. It's actually a good thing. I'm saying that with like a little bit of hesitancy because <laughs> I don't know that, but my understanding, what I can't find stuff that says it's necessarily that bad for yep. you. Um, MCT oil, good for you. Dot, dot, dot. It's not for everybody. When I tried keto, I did a lot of um, MCT oils. That's basically what the major fuel source was. Um, became I. It's supposed to be an anti-inflammatory. I became incredibly inflamed. So yeah. it did not agree with me. So don't take these blanket statements that people are saying like, MC2 oil is good for you. It's like, okay, it's good for you. Like, let's do more. It's You got to figure out what works for you. Not everybody tolerates everything the same way. Just like eggs. Like some people can't do eggs. Some people can't do certain types of fish. Some people can't. It depends on all the things. So back to the Bulletproof. Um, grass-fed butter for is a healthy thing. Um, you should seek it out. There's good um, fats in that that your body needs and you'll thrive. MCT oil for most people is really good and your body will thrive. Because of that, I believe Bulletproof Coffee has a really good place in someone's nutrition program. Mm -hmm. I don't drink coffee and I don't do MCT oil, so I don't have much personal experience with it. <laughs> Got it. Uh, the next one related to the MCT oil uh, and the last one for our nutrition list is fish oil. And this sort of harkens back to the, the early days of the zone diet. It didn't, it, it seemed like you couldn't, it, it seemed like when you, the more you learned about the zone diet, the more it was just like eat as much fish oil as possible. Um, I don't see that much anymore. How much fish oil are you taking? <laughs> Take, Take more. more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, we talked a little bit about uh, cod liver oil, at yep. least in terms of you. That's something that you take. Uh, are, I assume those things are related. I haven't but... taken it in a very long time because I'm eating, this is what we were talking about, yeah. but I'm eating um, extreme amounts of fish every week. Very cool. So I probably have... Uh, um, fish maybe 10 to 15 times a week. It's a lot. Yeah, wild-caught salmon. Yep. As a, um, probably too much. <laughs> um, okay, so fish Tony oil. Tony Robbins had a huge issue eating too much. I think it was salmon. He, really? Yeah, uh, I'm going to butcher what it was. But but if you, I'll find it and look. But he had like genuine medical problems because yeah. he ate wow. too much um, mercury, something with mercury in it. And it was just like his mercury levels were like super, 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 super high. Because of salmon. I don't know if it was salmon. I don't, I don't remember what fish it was that he ate that okay, like can I know. be high in mercury. Yeah. I'll try to find it. Inside. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Fish oil. Um, so fish oil. Here's the, the reasons why. And then we'll back up and kind of talk about my take on it. Um, it's an anti-inflammatory. So inflammation is bad. Anti-inflammatories are good. The active ingredients are EPA and DHA. They stand for these big, long um, terms. We're looking for, on your fish oil label, don't read what's on the front. They're lying to you. <laughs> read what's on the back and add those two numbers together. So if it says um, 1,000 milligrams of fish oil, and you flip on the back and it says EPA 200, DHA 50, you're getting 250 milligrams. Back in the day, the, the kind of um, a 1,000 number was kind of like the bare minimum and 3,000 was better and 5,000 was probably even better than that. And if you were sick, they were like, take 10,000. <laughs> um there's other studies that have come out that like excess fish oil, like anything, can cause problems. So um, if you're eating a, here's what, um, there's omega-6, This I'm trying not to, um, there's bad fats and there's good fats. Uh, most of processed food in the world has bad fats from like the bad hydrogenated oils and all the other crap that they put in processed foods. Um, whole foods, like not the restaurant, but like the real food has a lot of the good fats. Mm -hmm. um, fish being one of those. 
a healthy ratio from bad fat to good fats is like two to one. Three to one, probably acceptable. The normal American diet, the way it's set up, has more like a 10 to one. So the idea behind fish oil is, okay, this ratio is out of whack. Let's bring up the fish oil to bring this ratio back in line. I think maybe a better strategy might be to bring down Mm. the omega-6. So if you eliminate processed foods, that comes down. Then if you have fish two or three times a week, you probably don't need the supplement with some synth. I want to say some, some um, supplements. Yeah, got it. Cool. All right, so those are our food-related ones. We're going to move over to training-related or fitness-related. The first one being something that we've talked about. Uh, we've actually had a whole episode about this, but I, I do think it's still worth uh, mentioning, and that is strength-biased programming. And maybe you could kind of contextualize what okay. that means first. So what strength-biased programming um, means is that you do a strength before you do your conditioning thing. So when you go to the CrossFit gym, you don't just do Helen. You do a three-by-three three back squat, and then you do Helen. You don't just do um, that 10-minute AMRAP. You do um, work up to a heavy uh, clean and jerk, and then the AMRAP. It was popularized by... Um, um, Jeff Martin, who is a um, owner of CrossFit Brand X and the original creator of CrossFit Kids program. And he had this theory that our members can't um, do the workouts prescribed. They can't do the workouts prescribed because they're not strong enough. So to get stronger to do the workouts prescribed, we should have them doing some strength lifts beforehand. Um, people got to lift more weights and people like to lift weights. So it caught fire and went up huge. It also happened to coincide at the time when the games shifted. Everyone thought the games were going to be super heavy mm-hmm. because um, it was year two of the CrossFit games and year two of the CrossFit games had really heavy deadlifts. Yep. And um, there's only four workouts and two of them were really heavy. So 50% of the <laughs> workload was super heavy. And yep. everyone thought like, you got to be super strong and powerful and no workout lasted more than four minutes. You know, so it's like, they were shifting. So because of that, it caught crazy fire and everyone did this. There's nothing wrong with it. Yep. As long as we understand what we're trying to create, which is you're biasing your strength. Totally cool. Until you kind of think about the theoretical development of an athlete, which goes, the number one thing we should be focusing on is our nutrition. The second thing we should be focusing on is our metabolic conditioning. You are Metcon. The third thing after that is your gymnastics, ability to move your body through space. After that, then it becomes weightlifting. And finally, the the intricacies and the finer parts of learning your sport. So if we think about that, we should not be doing strength bias programming, mm-hmm. which is the second to last most important thing. We should be doing nutritious bias programming. Yeah. Or even better, Metcon biased programming. Yep. And in terms of developing our athletes, it's more important that your athletes can crush Helen than is than they can deadlift 500 pounds in terms of the overall health and development of our athletes. My take. Now, after that, yes, if they can crush Helen and they're stronger, that's better mm-hmm. for sure. But we don't want to bias it to the point that it diminishes our conditioning. And what we just want to be aware of is that that could happen if you put in a five by five back squat followed by Helen. Mm-hmm. People are not going to go at hell in the same way that they could. Am I saying don't lift heavy? Absolutely not. Lift heavy. Do your strength work. I do it every day. I have all of my athletes do strength work every day for sure. Just be aware of what the ends to the means is and why you're doing it. Next one is uh, Ramwad, uh, Mobility Wad. I know 
uh, Catron works with another one. I think they're called Go Mobility. I, f- I forget exactly. Um, but just that idea of sort of like a prescription or a, or a subscription to mobility work. Yep. Um, I think mobility, is, if you... Um, he, I think that mobility, if you have limited mobility, is incredibly important to focus on because it's your limiting factor and you're only as strong... Or sorry, that's a bad term. You're only as capable and fit as your weakest link. Mm-hmm. So if you're really strong, but you can't get in a good overhead squat position, you should work on your mobility more than you should work on your strength. I really believe that. I believe these programs are in a viable opportunity for people to work on that in a prescriptive fashion. I don't have enough intimate knowledge. I've, I've looked at Katrin's. I'm um, fairly familiar with a couple of the other ones. Um, I think it's better than doing it randomly. Mm-hmm. I think it's better than doing it uneducatedly. Um, I, I would caution against doing it um, excessively. Mm-hmm. Excessive range of motion for the sake of range of motion can be detrimental, not helpful. Um, what we're looking for is um, active, controllable range of motion. And if you um, are hypermobile in certain areas, but not in others, and you go through a traditional stretch, you might be making the issue worse. Mm. So um, if you have tight hip flexors, but a very mobile low back, and you do a traditional hip, uh, hip flexor stretch, you might not be stretching your hip flexor at all. That might be staying tied up like a knot, and you might only be stretching and exacerbating the low back flexibility, which is going to cause greater impingement of the spine in certain movements. So do I think there's a place for it? Absolutely. Do I think it's something I would prescribe to everybody? Probably not. Next one is breath work. And by that, I was thinking about uh, Wim Hof. Um, yep, very uh, trendy. Uh, yeah. Nasal breathing, which I don't really know very much about, but I know that Brian McKenzie is, talks about that a lot. Um, just the idea of paying attention to your breath specifically. Well, Wim Hof's not during yep. a workout. Nasal breathing probably is. So just being being more more aware of your breath. Okay, what we should have done to start this one off is the same thing we start off with the nutrition one, <laughs> which is let's define yeah. what this thing is and what we're trying to accomplish. So in terms of training, what we're trying to do is increase work capacity across broad times and modal domains. What that means is work capacity, do more. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to do um, um, front squats, and you can do 10 front squats at 225 pounds. Well, if you can now do 13, 14, 15 front squats at 225 pounds, we've increased your work capacity. We've That's, that's a success, mm-hmm. okay, um, across broad time. So it's not only just that, but we need to be able to see like, okay, how many can you squat this? Yep. But uh, not only for um, 25 seconds, but over two minutes and 20 minutes and so on. And we wouldn't do that for squats, obviously. But... <laughs> um, and then modal domains. It's not just about your squats, but it's also about your clean and jerk. And it's also about your sled pull. And it's also about your running and your rowing and your jumping and your pull-ups. It's also about how do you climb a mountain and can you swim and so on. So that's we have to define fitness before we talk about like the viability and the 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 appropriateness, the, yeah. the value of any one of these things. Yep. So maybe to back up was the first one, Rom. How many have we done? Uh, so we do strength bias programming. Also oh, strength bias programming. Then so mobility. As long as strength bias programming is increasing your work capacity across broad time. So if strength is your limiting factor, phenomenal. If strength is your 
forte. It's your strength. <laughs> if your strength is your strength. If you can deadlift 500 pounds, but you can't do Fran in under five minutes, guess what's not going to help you? Yeah. Strength yeah, bias program. Yeah. Exactly. Um, in terms of Ramwad, if l- mobility is your limiting factor, that could help you out massively. If it's not, it might not move the needle for you in terms of your work capacity across broad time mobile domains. Breath work. Breath work has the potential if done. Um, so first off, um, Wim Hof type stuff. Um, dude's ridiculous. <laughs> so um, Wim Hof has this breathing, just for people that aren't familiar yeah. with it, um, check him out because he's yes. awesome. I've read some books and um, um, it's really cool stuff. Um, the guy's basically like a mutant. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're like, oh my God. So he's one in you know six billion. Mm-hmm. He's basically figured out how to control his internal body temperature through his breathing. And what I mean by that is, he climbed to Mount Everest base camp, you know, negative subarctic temperatures without a shirt on mm. in, in shorts. They put him in a dunk tank filled with ice. In it in 20 minutes, you're supposed to become hypothermic. In 30 minutes, you're supposed to die. Don't take that. <laughs> but what happened was they monitored him, scientists, because they said basically you you're we think you're lying to us. His internal body his internal body temperature rose. Mm. He was able to control it and make it go up the opposite. He told people that he had the power to kill viruses with his mind and his breathing. So they injected him with a virus in controlled in in a laboratory medical setting. And through his breathing and his mind, they were able to watch him defeat and kill these viruses. It's like, okay, you are a mutant. (laughs) No, he's like, no, I can teach people. So he taught other people and they injected them and they are able. So this is a learnable, teachable thing through breathing. Um, I think this is real. Mm. Um, I think it's real. Now, um, will it increase your work capacity across broad time mold domains? I don't know that yet. Mm-hmm. I can't see how it doesn't, um, but I don't think it's going to move the needle as much as you doing thrusters and pull-ups. But if you're world-class at doing thrusters and pull-ups and you work on your breathing, I can't see how this thing doesn't help you out. Mm-hmm. So we're dabbling in it. Um, one that's sort of a... Um Two, two sides of the same co- uh, coin to a, to a large degree. Uh, ice baths and saunas. Okay. Uh, I imagine that philosophically they're very related. So maybe if we want to tackle them together. Okay. So I know that uh, Wim Hof uses ice yeah. um, as a big part of his thing. I don't know enough about the protocol and how cold immersion works for him. Mm-hmm. Um, cold immersion in terms of the recovery unit, um, or the recovery protocol yeah. yep. um, has two things to it. If you're in ice, so people like ice your elbow, it's sore. That does not work. Actually, it does the opposite of what you want it to. If there's an accident on the highway, Mm -hmm. you need to get the emergency vehicles there as fast as possible to remove the damaged people. When you ice an area, you're slowing down the highway, your arteries and veins that do their job Mm. to bring that there. So you're slowing it down. You're putting traffic on the highway. That's not what we're looking for. But there's a second side to ice. Our athletes will use it after a um, um, a uh, training in heat, massive heat to lower their body temperature back to normal. That's a really powerful way to do that. It's really good. It's not for inflammation, which is what people think they're trying to do. Yeah, got it. The other thing you can do, which I think is what Wim Hof is doing a little bit, is um, if you are in it long enough that you 
basically like you start to shake a little bit, mm -hmm. but you can, he's able to teach you how to control it. Mm -hmm. Well, then what's happening is all the blood is leaving the extremities. So you dumping into an ice tank for like, you know, 35, 40 seconds because you know, that's not doing it. But if you're in it long enough for a long enough exposure, the blood will start to leave your extremities to try to protect the vital organs. And then when you get out, the blood will rush back to those extremities. And what's happening is cold blood is going to the extremities. That's why your fingers start to tingle and burn a little mm -hmm. bit. That's that feeling of that blood coming back in there. It's like you're outside, you know, you're shoveling dry when your hands are freezing and stuff like that. Yep. But they're not in pain mm -hmm. until you go inside. And also mm -hmm. you're like, oh my God. <laughs> it's kind of weird, right? They're yeah. getting warmer. That's what's happening. That can have a lot of health benefits as well. It's kind of like um, creating this uh, pump through the circulatory system that you're bringing blood and bring it back and bring blood in and bring it back. Bring it back. Um, there can be some benefits to that as well. So for ice baths, it's if you're in it long enough to have that happen. Yep. Or um, to bring down body temperature. It's not an inflammation thing. Gotcha. Um, saunas. Yeah. Um, there's cool research on saunas. Uh, mostly having to do with um, um, HGH, human growth hormone, which is a natural, you can take it synthetically, which is illegal in most sports, or you can produce it naturally through sleep, intense exercise, and dot, 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 sauna exposures. Mm. Longer, the better. If you have um, one exposure of 10 minutes a day, it releases a, your your growth hormone goes up. And growth hormone's good because it keeps you young, builds muscles. Um, you'll look better, feel better. If you go multiple exposures for prolonged periods of time, like multiple, meaning like, um, and by the way, um, your infrared sauna that you bought that's in your house that gets up to 145 degrees won't do it. It's gotta be above 170 degrees, I believe. Don't take me on that number. It's around that number. Mm -hmm. um, so 160, maybe it's 165. By I have my athletes do 170. Um, it can really produce a lot of um, HGH to the tune of like like hundreds to thousands percent more hmm. HGH release than it would otherwise. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Uh, the next one's a bit of a strange one. Other people do like a salt bike in the, um, so they do training <laughs> oh, in Jesus. the sauna. Yeah. That's a different thing that I don't totally understand. I haven't played with yet. Gotcha. Just kind of put that out there. Yep. All right. The next one is one, uh, it's a little bit of a, an odd one, but I, but I, as I was putting this list together, I thought about it because when we first started this and when CrossFit really started picking up, uh, a thing that was very popular was uh, what's called the CrossFit SME certs, right? Mm -hmm. So whether that's endurance, gymnastics, kettlebell it's probably seven or eight more and i know that they still yep. exist yep and it's entirely possible that it's just i'm not around people who are thinking about those anymore but it doesn't seem to be that they're as popular as they used to be yep is that you, do you have the same sort of i have the same sense yeah, yeah i um i think it's just a shift in the community yeah i think that when it first came about we were so eager like it was like um for people that for people that were around, they'll they'll relate to this. It was truly like it. It was like an underground like society. Yeah. Um, if you went into a CrossFit gym, you found something on your own by yourself, and you were now a part of this like thing that the rest of the world did not understand. Secret handshakes. Yeah, for real. Um, and because of that, I think that we were so eager to gather up all the different knowledge that we could from all of these different specialists within our community. Let's go learn from Rob Wolf about Strongman. Mm -hmm. Let's go learn from um, 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 Kelly Starrett about mobility. Let's yep. go learn 
from Chris Hinshaw about endurance and stuff. He wasn't there at yeah. the time, but um, Ripto about barbell yeah. stuff and um, Coach Bergner about Olympic lifting. Right. Yep. I think that um, they still are relevant, but I think that there's still, uh, as many people are still going, but the pond's gotten so much bigger. It used to be like 40% of the, of the CrossFit community would go to these certs right. and that would fill them up. Yep. I think that just still filled up, but because the pool is now a hundred X, it doesn't seem mm. as prevalent and not everyone's going to it. Yep. So, um, cause I still know um, people are going to Hinshaw's things for yep. sure. Coach B and Olympic weightlifting is all over the world. So, um, these are still, um, sought after, um, but I also think the other thing is like there's a lot of extensions. There's a lot of other people in the space as well. Mm -hmm. So we now feel like we can trust people that aren't just SMEs. So we go uh, to see people like Carl Paoli and yeah. we go to like all these other specialists. You know, we go to Wim Hof and yep. we go to like these there's other lots people. lots of Olympic weightlifting seminars. Exactly. Yeah. So now we're going to, you know, yep. Dimitri Kolkloff is doing yeah. one and we're going to these other ones. So it's not just like we, because back then we only yeah. trusted <laughs> Because it was like so yeah. counterculture yeah. to everything we've ever been taught. I trusted other people who knew the secret handshake. Yes. Yeah. So if you know the secret handshake, teach me. Yeah. Teach me what you know about this thing. Right. And now we're kind of like, oh, there's best practices elsewhere. And we can kind of dabble and see what's out there. And I just think it's more of a open source than it was yeah. then. This one's related. You don't have to be knighted. It's not like <laughs> right. you can talk to right. our community. Right. Um, this one's related because it was part of the the early CrossFit endurance seminars with Brian McKenzie. But that was the pose method. Yep. The pose method of, method of running. Um, that was something that I saw, again, in the early days, a lot of people try to pay attention to and try to figure out and try to do better. I'm not sure if anybody's still talking about pose uh, as much at, at least, but you tell me. We do. Yeah. We coach pose running mechanics. Um, so for those that aren't familiar, it's basically like, just like we teach people how to clean a barbell and how to do a deadlift and how to do a squat. And we teach people how to row and we teach people how to run. Um, pose running is an incredibly effective, safe, efficient, and fast way to run. Um, so it basically has to do with uh, three different things. It's your posture. Um which is your, kind of your body position where your hands are. It is um, your lean. So it's uh, this slight lean from the ankles. Most people hinge the hips or they don't lean at all. And it is uh, a pull. So you are pulling your foot off the ground as quickly as you can to create what's called a figure four um, in your uh, with your lower legs. So your planted leg is the long axis and then the triangle coming across is the other leg. Mm -hmm. That is the pose running kind of thing in a real nutshell. What that allows you to do is by default, if you do that, you will run with a quicker cadence. So you'll not be plodding foot to foot to foot over striding with your heel landing in front of you and literally putting on the brakes every single step. Your cadence by default will short, um, your stride will shorten up. Your cadence will pick up. You will strike with your foot more underneath your center of mass with your ball of your foot and your heel kissing the ground instead of the opposite, heel striking and then rolling over. Um, because of that, injuries go down and speeds go up. Mm -hmm. um, regardless of the distance, the winners of the Boston Marathon and Usain Bolt both run with pose running mechanics. Mm -hmm. So we we coach it. We uh, I think it's a phenomenal, um, a phenom it's the best running mechanics um, and teachable system I've ever come across. 
It also makes you really obnoxious to be around because every time you see somebody running, you point out how badly they're running. You can't not see yeah. <laughs> bad running now. Like, like, um, you know, what's cool is all little kids run with posed running technique. Yeah, that's true. And then once you put them in big padded shoes, that's when it changes. If you give have someone run barefoot, and they'll run with posed running. Yeah. Interesting. Um, next one is accessory work. Okay, so accessory work is kind of the opposite of strength. Ah, uh, not the, it's the it's it's the cousin to strength bias <laughs> programming, right? So generally what people do is they'll do um, their a lift beforehand, they'll do the Metcon and they'll do accessory work. So accessory work is um, anything from like, uh, uh, it could be strength, it could be um, gymnastics, it could be, it's extra work, accessory, extra um, work to uh, improve something. It's really, really valuable that for people that have identified a weak link. So if you find that your um, hamstrings are the weak thing in your uh, Olympic lifts or squats or running or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just kind of trying to improve those by doing more squats and more every, uh, Olympic lifts and more running. You could speed it up by targeting the weak muscle groups. And this is what the guys at Westside through the conjugate method do. Identify the weak link and hammer it. They're no different than CrossFit. They're just in the strength side. It constantly varies, changing up. Once you identify something you're not good at, make friends with it and beat it to death. (laughs) So the suggestion would be if you find out that your hamstrings are weak, you do some extra good mornings, some extra Bulgarian split squats, some extra glute ham raises, some extra back extensions, some extra Nordic curls. If you don't know what those are, YouTube them and um, have fun. Um, If you do some of those extra things with your hamstrings, they will get better. It might be like um, they're weak linked for a few different reasons. Either your body has been positioned for certain reasons that you overcompensate through other areas and these things are underdeveloped um, or they're not firing neurologically and you need to get them to turn on so they can grow and get stronger. Accessory work's a good way to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, If you don't have the time or the interest, you're going to get really fit work capacity across broad time all domains without doing accessory work Mm -hmm. it's not a necessity for becoming really fit and or pushing off the nursing home Mm -hmm. but if you want to eliminate some weak links it's a great tool for you the last one uh, a bit of an odd one but i wanted to put it on because i'm curious of your thought of it as a trend and it's weird because it's something that you're uh, intimately aware of and and familiar with which is online programming. Huh. There's a lot of it now. There, there seems is. To be, oh my God. It, I, I don't know where the tipping point was, but there, but uh, there's a lot of options now if you're interested in, in online programming. Okay. So um, just kind of explain online programming is you can follow, like instead of going to an affiliate, you could go and subscribe um, to a um, program online that says, here's today's workout. Here's today's workout. Um, and I'm intimately familiar with it because we have one called Comp Train. Right. Um, and I believe that it's become such a trend and there's so many people doing it now because the business model is insane. Hmm. It's incredible. Um, it's a SaaS business. So it's software as a subscription. Um, and because of that, by the nature of those type of businesses, they're not as good as pure software plays, um, which have like basically... 90% profit margins, yep. but you have to have some sort of customer service for this. So yep. it's a little bit lower, um, but the profit margins are insane. Mm-hmm. You basically have a ultimately scalable product, which you create it and 
It's not like a movie theater where you can only sell so many seats. It's like Netflix where mm-hmm. anybody can watch it. Um, and I think that's the reason it's grown so much because it's a, for some people, it's a really low pull. Mm-hmm. I'll just put some workouts on um, and make this thing go. Um, and people will jump on. And if I have 100 people following for X number of dollars a month, that's viable if mm-hmm. it takes me X amount of time to do this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also try to scale it up, which is what we're doing with CompTrain, and get you know tens and hundreds of thousands of users, and it becomes a massive business. Right. Um, so I think that's the reason it's become a trend, um, is because it's a low barrier to entry, and it's an insane scalable business model. Um, and um, I think that the users are finding a lot of use and value out of it. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's um, I don't think it's a trend mm-hmm. because you're able to talk to people based off of their. You're talking to people in their kind of like small little groups instead of CrossFit.com putting out a workout to the world and saying do this, and you have guy trying to get off the couch to person trying to get back into fitness to person um trying to get 50 consecutive pull-ups to person trying to be in the navy seals or going to the games and they're Mm -hmm. all now you have this like we have a competitor's program we have a program for people in their garage we have a people a program that all you need is a barbell we have a program that you can do in a hotel gym Mm -hmm. we have you can speak to people a little more targeted than you would otherwise even even more than you can do in the gym to a degree Sort of. Um, there's pros and cons to both. Yeah. Um, the pros to the gym is, hey, Patrick, how are you feeling today? Exactly. Um, whereas the other one is, as you said, is like you raise your hand, you're like, I'm a competitor. Yep. I want to train. I'm a master's athlete and I want to train for the um, CrossFit Games next year. Mm-hmm. Great. We got a track yep. for you for yep. that. Because it's narrow enough that somebody's yes. probably satisfying that need. Yep. Very cool. Uh, that was a lot. That was cool. Um that was our. That was that was sort of your take on the the many many trends and fads that we've seen over the last. Here's uh, as a closing thought. Yeah, we didn't talk about CrossFit as a fad or <laughs> a trend, didn't. and here's the reason why I think we didn't, and I think this is um, important. Um, I believe that by definition, CrossFit cannot be a fad or a trend mm-hmm. because what we what our program is. It's stealing the best practices from everybody else. And if it works, we're going to use it. And if it doesn't, we're chucking it. If it increases fitness, work capacity across broad time, all domains, it's a part of our program. And we will test it out. And if it doesn't work, it's gone. That's why back in the day when we started CrossFit, nobody did a salt bike and nobody had prowlers. But we found out that pushing sleds and riding in a salt bike produces incredible amounts of fitness. Well, guess what's a part of every training program there is now? Mm-hmm. Because it works. So it's a constantly evolving, morphing, changing program that whatever produces the best fitness, that's what CrossFit is. I like Greg Glassman's thing a while back. He's like, the day that the Navy SEALs start doing hula hoops and rollerblading, that's when you're going to see on .com. But they don't do that because those things do not produce elite fitness. What those guys do is thrusters, pull-ups, run, row, repeat. Great place to end. Thank you, Ben. Thanks, Ben. You can get every episode of Chasing Excellence wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Until next time, thank you for listening.
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.